Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. My guest is Kimberly Herman, the General Counsel for the Southeastern Legal Foundation. It's a non-profit constitutional law firm that advocates for individual liberty, free speech, economic freedom, and the rule of law. And Kimberly says our First Amendment rights in America are under attack as never before. Imagine you are 18 years old, you are a freshman at college, and you have to take a freshman seminar. You walk in, and your very first assignment is to place where you fall on an intersectionality graph. So in other words, if you are a white Christian male, you have to mark that off on this graph and see where you fall. And then you are told, well, because of those characteristics, you are racist, you are prejudiced, you need to apologize. And your assignment is to write an apology letter to the people of color and the women in your classroom. And if you don't do it, you're not going to pass the seminar. A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political, and social upheaval, life on planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth, answers, solutions, and above all, hope for our existential crisis. Now, we don't want to use our show to preach or pontificate too much, but we do want to present the facts and opinions we feel are worth sharing so you two are better informed. Kimberly Herman, my guest coming up in a wee moment, had her own thought-provoking opinion piece published recently titled... Five ways the Biden administration will infringe on your First Amendment rights. In it, Kimberly Herman wrote that today's use of the word unity by Biden is simply a wolf in sheep's clothing and it comes at a cost to conservatives. That cost, Kimberly contends, is your voice, your speech and your constitutional rights. You don't even have to be conservative to be worried about this. We'll hear more from Kimberly Herman of the Southeastern Legal Foundation in a moment. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Sure, look, it's grand to have you back. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. My guest is Kimberly Herman, General Counsel for the Southeastern Legal Foundation. It's a conservative non-profit dedicated to freedom and the rule of law. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. I'm going to begin with a recent opinion you wrote. It was provocative, but it was very interesting, and it might reveal something of the times, the changing times, the changing political times we're in. You wrote the latest tactic of the woke cancel culture is this. 
if you do not wholeheartedly accept Biden and his platform, you are personally responsible for dividing our country. And we hear so much about unity. What did you mean by that? Yeah, so what we're seeing is that if you come out, um, whether it be a college student or um, anyone really, and you disagree with any policy coming out of the left, so maybe you question climate change, right? And you say, I don't know about that. I've looked at the science myself and it doesn't quite add up. Then you are personally responsible for dividing our country. If you agree with what the Biden administration and the left is saying, then you are for uniting the country. So in other words, if you disagree, you are the problem. Um, That is not what our country is founded on. And that is not what our constitution protects. But they are scaring people into silence. And it is a it's a serious problem across our country, but even bigger on our college campuses. And why do we hear so much about unrest on college campuses today? Of course, it's nothing new. We've had unrest during the 60s, changing times, changing culture. But right now we're hearing a lot more about it, almost like some kind of an uprising about to occur. Yeah, what we what we see is that if you disagree with what the left is saying, there is going to be an uproar because they will do everything they can to silence you. So it used to be that you would have your professor silencing you, right? Back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, that's really where we saw a lot of the chilling of speech. And then as the 2000s came about and social media um, became rampant and really the way that um, these college students communicate with each other, they can hide behind that. And so then they started silencing each other because that is what they were being taught to do. And so if you disagree, they will shut you down. They will take down your flyers. Um, We've had multiple students call us that we've worked with who have been physically assaulted simply because they are standing up for the Constitution. They're not out there saying anything that would be really understood as inflammatory. It's simply saying uh, frequently socialism sucks. Right. That's a big slogan that a lot of students we work with will will talk about and pass out flyers for. That's not inflammatory, um, but they're being attacked on our campuses for that. How does it shake out on college campuses in terms of the political divide among student bodies, uh, left, right, disinterested students? Um, I'll be honest, we're not 100% sure, right? So we've had a lot of polling on that. And the reason why we're not 100% sure is because our conservative students are scared to speak up. Um, You see a lot more of the progressive students out there talking about their views, doing everything they can to really engage in this woke cancel culture that we were talking about, you know, when you opened up the show today and and our talk um, is that if you don't agree with them, you can't speak your mind. And so um, I would say, you know, from a professor level and an administrator level, certainly much more progressive, Um, many, many more progressives on that end. But, you know, from the student body, there is a whole new conservative movement that's really rising up. Um, and they want to speak out and they want to be heard. And I encourage all of them to do that. It's, it's exciting to work with them every, really every single day to help them do that. Now, we're talking here about the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution that protects the freedom of speech, religion and the press and also the right to peacefully protest and even to petition the government. 
That that's correct. That is what at stake. And one thing that we've actually found at Southeastern Legal Foundation is that a lot of these college students, they don't really know what the First Amendment means, right? They don't know what their rights are because they're so frequently told that they're not allowed to say anything offensive, right? Anything that could hurt anyone else's feelings, they can't say. Well, that is not, as you know, and as your audience surely knows, that's not what the First Amendment says. It protects all speech, even offensive and hate speech. Um, now, you can't go out there and incite violence telling somebody to go punch somebody else, but you can certainly speak your mind. And um, they are doing everything they can to kind of reshape that. And so what we do a lot of is educating. We hold webinars and training sessions weekly for college students around the country to help them learn what their true First Amendment rights are so that those conservative students that want to speak up can speak up and they know how to do it without jeopardizing their academic careers. So the First Amendment protects free speech on both the left and on the right, but obviously it doesn't protect the idea of inciting violence, as you just pointed out. So... For example, a pro-life group on college campus has every right to carry banners saying protect the unborn, correct? Yes, absolutely. We actually represented students just last year who were doing that. And interestingly enough, the, the university did not try to shut them down, but their peers tried to shut them down. The student government at that school, I think it was the very next day, passed a resolution saying that they could no longer hold pro-life rallies or have pro-life speech on the college campus. And those students were smart enough to call us, the pro-life students, and we were able to work with the school to make sure that that did not become binding. Um, so I praise the university in that situation, but it's an example of what you were talking about earlier, where it's this peer-on-peer -peer harassment and peer-on-peer -peer silencing. Yeah, because I've heard stories out of Students for Life of America where their speakers were harassed on campus. Yeah. You're, uh, unfortunately, yeah, that happens all across the country, right? Um, probably about a decade ago, we saw a huge movement towards uh, harassing speakers and stopping speakers on campus. Now, with COVID... Um, what we've seen is we've seen the COVID policies of these schools being abused to stop conservative uh, and libertarian groups from having their speakers on campus. So you might have um, a BLM protest or BLM rally with hundreds of students, no masks, sometimes even, honestly, administrators participating in that. But then let's say uh, College Republicans wants to bring a speaker onto campus they certainly cannot do that and because it would violate the COVID policies. So they're being applied in a discriminatory manner um, to make sure that, that you can't bring your speakers onto campus. So just to be clear, freedom of speech is protected on both the left and right. Oh, so, so absolutely. So could a pro-choice group, not that I would support them, as everybody who listens to our show knows, could a pro-choice group are they legally protected to carry those banners also on campus? Yes, they are. They absolutely are. And um, if, you know, if pro-life groups tried to silence them, that would be in violation of the Constitution. And so the Constitution protects you regardless of the content 
or the viewpoint of your speech. And that is what's so frequently forgotten um, across our country right now. And uh, no matter whether you're on a college campus or whether you're at a PTA meeting or whether you're you know, getting a cup of coffee, it seems to be for, have forgotten everywhere. If you don't agree with somebody, you can't speak. They want you to be silenced. Everyone's speech is protected by the First Amendment. That was our founder's purpose. So Kimberly, you're saying here also that there's a more hostile environment building in college campuses in America, hostile to conservative viewpoints and to conservative ideas, and it's clamping down on First Amendment rights. So what are students to make out of this who are bothered by it? Any colleges that are more hospitable for them that you would recommend? Is there a list out there saying, well, these are colleges that will be more receptive to protecting the First Amendment and won't suffocate you with woke culture and woke policies? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly some of the private Christian schools out there that I think that really tried to do a great job of that. Um, But from a public university and college perspective, I have a really hard time pinpointing any ones that are great at this. Um, Sometimes the administrators don't know, right? Sometimes it's uh, antiquated policies that are there, and so they need to be made aware of those. Sometimes it's a bad apple, right? And so they need to be made aware of that. And that's where groups like us come in, right? As a 501c3, we represent these students um, pro bono, and we are able to send demand letters to call administrators to help these students stand up for their rights, but not just do it for them and do it, but do it with them, right? Like I said, a key piece of this is education um, and making sure that they know how to properly fight for their First Amendment rights. Because they're only going to be in college for four years and then they go out into the great big workplace and they need to learn how they can also fight it there because a lot of major corporations, um, they actually are some of the worst silencers of of, you know, their employees' speech. And there's different legal issues there, um, but it's still important to know what to stand for and how to stand for it. That's always fascinated me how many in corporate America at the executive suite level have caved in to the woke culture. You would imagine that some of them would resist that kind of pressure, but I'm presuming some of it is ideological, some of it is commercial, just some of it is just this overwhelming desire just to get out of the way and let the the woke bandits take their course on this. Yeah, I mean, I think we saw it just, I mean, just during the Super Bowl. So anyone who watched the Super Bowl on Sunday night saw commercial after commercial after commercial talking about unity and equity and um, this idea that We need to have equal outcome versus equal opportunity. And it's being wed into everything and being pushed by corporate America. It all goes back to the idea of critical theory and what we're dealing now. And we're part of a coalition called Stop Critical Race Theory, um, which isn't so much about race, but it's about this idea of re-education. It's uh, this idea um, of corporate America and of K through 12 schools and of our government telling people that they need to apologize for who they are. They need to stop saying things that they maybe believe and they need to fight for equal outcome, which means opportunity and hard work doesn't matter anymore. And that's certainly 
uh, not what this country is about. Yeah, one of the ads that stood out in my mind during the Super Bowl was with Bruce Springsteen and a certain car maker. I'm wondering, did they get any pushback from uh, the red states saying, well, I'm not going to drive your Jeep anymore? I mean, I... I I would hope so. Um, I, I think there were there were a number of them. There was a company that I used to work for that had a, an ad, and I, uh, I'm, I'm not not going to lie. I actually told my husband. I said I, I can't watch this anymore. Um, this isn't about football anymore. This isn't about you know watching the the, the, the greats, right? The old great against the new great um, on, on the football field. This is about, uh, trying to send a social, social message tonight. And I, I was done. I, I did walk away from the, the TV. I think there was an instance a couple of years ago where some pro-life group wanted to run an ad during Super Bowl, and it was yanked. I remember that. I, I remember that well. Um, and it was, it's troubling but again, I mean, at the end of the day, those are private actors. Um, and, you know, you, we can have the, the private public debate with respect to Twitter and all the censoring. I mean, we we deal with it. We're a, a target of that censoring time to time. Um, but what we're trying to do here as an organization is, is help college students, you know, and also those in the federal government, those in the state governments that are being silenced because the government at any level cannot violate your First Amendment rights. Text and whatever. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. My guest is Kimberly Herman, General Counsel for the Southeastern Legal Foundation. It's a conservative nonprofit dedicated to freedom and the rule of law. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. You wrote in your opinion piece that I referenced earlier, five ways the Biden administration will infringe on your First Amendment rights. Can you take us through some of those? Yeah, um, the, the first one I mentioned, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to, to do that, because I think it's important um, to highlight some of these and how they're going to change under the Biden administration. The first is hate speech bans. And many schools have hate speech bans, or um, they might also refer to them as bias response teams. So you say X, Y, Z, person standing next to you is offended. They can write an anonymous complaint complaining about you and saying that you offended them because of your speech. And then you are subject to a whole host of a disciplinary process that at some, some schools can actually end in expulsion that might sound severe, it has happened in cases that we've been involved in, um, that we've been brought in afterwards. So what's gonna change? Well, it's certainly not gonna get any better. What I think we're going to see is that we're gonna see hate speech ban mandates. So in other words, the federal government saying, University XYZ, if you do not ban hate speech, ban offensive speech, on your campus, we are gonna pull your federal funding. That's what a federal mandate is. And unfortunately, I believe we're gonna start seeing these through enforcement and through direct um, direct acknowledgement also. So that that's gonna be the first really big one that I think is gonna come out of the administration. We're in for a lot of change then in our culture and in our freedoms in America. 
Yeah, we are. Um, because what what ends up happening is these agencies come in, like the Department of Education, and they start investigating. They start, um, you know, these administrative processes where they'll say, a student reached out to us and said that you're not enforcing this hate speech ban. They were offended. And so you need to make these even stricter. It's all with the goal of silencing people that you disagree with. I mean, at the end of the day, that's really what it is. Because what is hate speech? What is offensive speech? There's no actual legal definition to those. They're subjective. Um, And so there's going to be that silencing. But on the other side, there's also going to be more and more compelled speech. And this is really in that area of critical race theory that, that I mentioned earlier. Imagine you are 18 years old you are a freshman at college and you have to take a freshman seminar. You walk in and your very first assignment is to place where you fall on an intersectionality graph. So in other words, if you are a white Christian male, you have to mark that off on this graph and see where you fall. And then you were told, well, because of those characteristics, you are racist, you are prejudiced, you need to apologize. And your assignment is to write an apology letter to the people of color and the women in your classroom. And if you don't do it, you're not going to pass the seminar. That's just amazing. We have some of that happening in our public school system in New York City right now. Many people have written pieces about it. Let's go back to the, and it's disturbing. Let's go back to the summer we had in Portland, Oregon, I believe it was, or was it Seattle, the summer of love there, but we had the riots on the streets in the wake of the shocking and brutal murder of George Floyd, rest in peace. It resulted in street riots and just a terrible summer where we had calls for restitution. Black Lives Matter were on the street, obviously, and for racial equality, the ending of inequality. What was your overall take on what happened during the summer? Any thoughts on it? Because it's related to what we're seeing now as Biden steps up his game in the White House. Yeah, I mean, what what happened is is awful, right? I mean, I think that we, we can all agree on that as humans, um, as Christians, and um, just as, as members of, of our community and of our country. But then when you look at what the politicians did, and I use that word intentionally, the politicians, because when we're talking about an organization like Black Lives Matter or Antifa, we're not talking about the idea that Black Lives Matter. Of course they matter. Mm, Black Um, Lives do matter. You you are right. They do matter. Right. What we're talking about is an organization. And we're talking about an organization that believes in Marxism. And I was I was in listening recently to um, to Andy No talking. And, you know, he is the reporter. He's been embedded with Antifa. He was attacked years ago. And he was talking about how the two groups have very much merged out in Portland and in Seattle and throughout the country. Um, while one of them doesn't recognize government at all, and the other one is push, pushes for Marxism, they have a common enemy, which is America, right? It's a constitutional system. It's our republic. And so they've really kind of come together in those cities um, to wreak havoc. And it's not about the First Amendment. It's not about, um, you know, fighting for anything principled. It's just fighting against the system. And again, 
what we saw out of that was that if you said, well, I don't necessarily agree with the organization Black Lives Matters, you're silenced, right? You should not be able to exercise your First Amendment right. So your neighbor can put a sign in their yard, but you can't disagree with it. Um, and so that's really what, I mean, I saw on the ground coming out of that, right? We're not on the West Coast. We're located in Atlanta, Georgia, um, but we had some of the riots here too. And um, fortunately, our, our government shut that, shut that down because they weren't peaceful protests. They were riots. Yeah, and there was a lot of damage done to small and large businesses. It, it was a shocking sight. It was. I mean, I, you had to make sure that your young kids, I've got younger children, and I had to make sure that um, they weren't exposed to that and that they didn't see it on TV, that we didn't accidentally put the news channel on because it was on everything. And how do you explain that to them when it's really people just destroying their own communities? And it, and it hasn't stopped. I mean, and there's some cities that's still going on um, on a very regular nightly basis. Do you think there is systemic racism in America? What's your response to that? Um, I do not think that we are a country that has systemic racism. Um, are there people out there that uh, maybe have some hate in their heart? Y yes. Are there groups out there that do incite violence? Yes, there are. And those groups and those people, um, you know, the, the law should be applied to them in the way that it is applied to everyone. But when it comes to are we a systemically racist country? No, I, I do not believe that we are. I believe that we are a good country and I believe that we have come leaps and bounds and that we need to focus on equality. Right. Our Constitution and our 14th Amendment, it demands, as it should, equality for all. That means equal opportunity. It means treating everyone the same. Right. I should not be treated any differently because I'm a woman. Uh, then my husband should be treated because he is a man when it comes to hiring, opportunity, things like that. Now, um, you know, and that's really what they're they're teaching in our schools. They're teaching the opposite of that. So from a personal perspective, that's that's where I come down on that. And from an organizational perspective, um, teaching that to our students and teaching that to our country only results in chilled and compelled speech. And that needs to stop. It also violates our Civil Rights Act. Where do you think all of this is coming from? I have to always ask myself that America certainly does have problems, economic and social problems. But in, in other ways, we've never been in a better place. We have an extraordinary wealth. We have an extraordinarily productive economy. We have housing. We've got consumer goods. We've, we've, we've a lot of things that are the envy of the world. And at the same time, there are certainly problems to solve. We do have problems in our inner cities. We do have people who go hungry at night. Is there vested interest fanning the flames? Is it an ideological thing? What's the origins of all of this? Yeah, I mean, you've got um, ideologues who obviously be believe in this wholeheartedly. Um, the ideas of this that came out from the law schools in the 90s, that's really where a, lo a lot of these ideas come out of the 90s. But then you've also got politics, right? And so it's a matter of keeping in power. And unfortunately, we have, we fortunately, we do have some great leaders out there. But unfortunately, we also have a lot that really only care about staying in power. And how do they get there? And so um, it's by what they literally will call re-education. And 
getting people kind of hooked on the system, hooked on the government, right? I mean, yeah, if you want everyone to have the exact same outcome and you're going to cut them check for no reason, um, and then they're probably going to vote for you. And I hate to sound like a cynic of that because I think that this country at its heart is good. I think that at its heart, everyone... Um, the majority of the people in this country love our republic and they love who we are and they love what we're founded on. But you're going to have people that prey on the opposite. And that's who we have in this administration right now. And so we're seeing a lot more of it. So there's a lot of vested interests have uh, a reason to perpetuate this ideology and keep their organizations funded. And, and of course, they have a sympathetic media. Oh, uh- that goes without saying, right? Um, it's something that we saw uh, during the last four years, and it was really exposed during the last four years. And then the, you know, the way that social media and big tech works with that too, we've seen that just in the last several months. And I think a lot of people's eyes have been open to that. And I think that it really comes down to paying attention, which a lot of people are doing in this country, which is wonderful to see and to making sure that they can speak their mind freely without being scared to do so or punished to do so at any level. But I mean, you, everything you're saying is just ringing so true. It feels sometimes that instead of unity, the country is coming apart. It's, it is polarized, has been. Do you think we'll ever heal? And over the next couple of years, do you think some of these tensions may deepen because some of the expectations of the extreme left are not something that sits very well with everyday ordinary Americans, conservative or middle of the road. You're right on that. And I think the same goes for um, people that are far on the right, right? I mean, the majority of this country is in the middle. The majority of this country, as we mentioned, has has good heart, has a good head on their shoulder. Um, and so, I mean, I have to be hopeful, right? I think we all have to be hopeful that this country will heal. And that in saying that, it doesn't mean that we're all going to agree. It's okay if we don't. Our founders didn't always agree. That's how we got the great country that we have, is people talking about their ideas and coming up with the better ones together. And I think that once people can remember that and remember that healing and coming together doesn't mean agreeing 100% of the time, then we can start that process. My guest is Kimberly Herman. She's general counsel for Southeastern Legal Foundation. It's a nonprofit. Tell us a little bit about your organization, Kimberly, and how can people reach you? Yeah, we are one of the oldest conservative public interest law firms. So I get to sue the government every day when they violate your constitutional rights. Um, they can find us at slfliberty.org or at our Twitter handle, which is also SLF Liberty. And we would love to hear from them. And if your rights are being violated, feel free to reach out to us and we can see how we can help you. Kimberly Herman, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.